0: Hello, dear listener. Welcome to 2022 and to part two of epidemiological studies published in October 2021. My name is Nyla, and I'll be taking you through 13 papers today on lifestyle factors such as diet and nutrition, as well as comorbidities of Alzheimer's disease. We'll get started right after this quick introduction. Welcome to a minder a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Today's episode is the last of our October series, So if you're just tuning in, you might want to check out part one of Epidemiological Studies, as well as the other episodes that have been released this month. And the first episode of our November series will be released on January 17th. And as a quick reminder of what we do at Aminder, our podcast is meant to provide a brief overview of the latest literature and not any kind of in-depth analysis. We leave that up to you. You can find all of the papers that I mentioned today in the attached bibliography, and we also release bibliographies for papers that we can't cover every month so check those out. I'll be numbering the papers throughout and providing citations so they're easy to find. So before we get into specific comorbidities linked to AD, that is Alzheimer's, we'll look at some papers on modifiable health or lifestyle factors. Starting off very generally, we've got paper number one, which is entitled Partial Least Squares Analysis of Alzheimer's Disease Biomarkers, Modifiable Health Variables, and Cognition in Older Adults with Mild Cognitive Impairment. This was published by first author Stark, last author Hayes, and it's part of the Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative, or the ADNI. It's coming from Ohio State University and published in the Journal of International Neuropsychological Society. This study followed 154 participants with mild cognitive impairment, that is MCI, to assess the association between cognition and metrics of cardiometabolic risk, stress, inflammation, neurotrophic and growth factors, and AD pathology. The authors found that a certain combination of AD biomarkers, neurotrophic and growth factors, education, and stress was significantly associated with specific domains of cognitive function. Specifically, this association was for tasks involving episodic memory, executive function, processing speed, and language, but not for more basic attention and vocabulary tasks. These biological metrics were more strongly associated with cognition than chronological age was, at least within older adults with MCI. Overall, these findings highlight an association between quantifiable biological changes in the brain and cognitive outcomes. Paper two takes us in a slightly different direction, focusing on how changes in body mass index, or BMI, relate to cognitive decline and whether this may be influenced by the presence of AD pathology. It was published in the Journal of Gerontology, Series A, Biological Science and Medical Science by first author Buchmann and last author Bennett at Rush University Medical Center, and the title of paper 2 is Brain Beta Amyloid Links the Association of Change in BMI with Cognitive Decline in Community-Dwelling Older Adults. The authors used data from 436 older adults who had participated in a prospective longitudinal cohort study to test whether AD and related dementia pathology could explain the association between BMI and cognitive decline. The participants had undergone annual cognitive and BMI assessment, and 12 different brain pathologies were examined post-mortem, so after the participant's death. The analysis showed that AD and related dementia pathologies including beta-amyloid, hippocampal sclerosis, and substantia nigra neuronal loss, that is cell loss, indeed associated with BMI range, which is a measure of one's change in body mass index. So change in BMI was also associated with cognitive decline, but this was strongly attenuated when beta amyloid was taken into account. The authors suggest that fluctuation in BMI and cognitive decline in older adults could be affected by similar mechanisms that also underlie AD pathology in the brain. This isn't the first time I've covered a paper reporting that fluctuating BMI over adult life is related to cognitive decline, so it's nice to see some research digging into the reasons behind this association. Somewhat related to the topic of BMI is diet. Diet comes up often as an arguably modifiable lifestyle factor that people have some control over and that could either increase or decrease the risk of dementia in later life. The specific focus of paper 3 is in the title, which is Interactions between Dietary Patterns and Genetic Factors in Relation to Incident Dementia Among 70-Year-Olds. It was published in the European Journal of Nutrition by first authors Samuelsson and last authors Skog and Zetagren. This group, primarily located at the University of Gothenburg, derived data from the population-based Gothenburg H70 birth cohort studies in Sweden, which included around 600 dementia-free 70-year-olds that were followed for incident dementia until 2016. So they considered two diets, one being the healthy diet of vegetables, fruit and fish, and the other being the western diet of red meat, refined cereals and full fat dairy products. And this is their labeling, not mine. They also assessed genetic risk based on the presence of the apoe 4 allele and non-APOE-AD polygenic risk scores. And in case you don't know, the apoe 4 allele is the most common genetic risk factor of late-onset AD. Using Cox regression models, the authors found that there were interactions between gene and diet, at least for the APOE genotype. Specifically, APOEE4 non-carriers who had higher adherence to a healthy dietary pattern had a reduced risk of dementia, whereas this was not the case amongst APOEE4 carriers. In contrast, E4 carriers who indulged more in the Western diet also had increased risk of dementia, whereas this association was not seen in E4 non-carriers. These results suggest that genetic predisposition to AD can influence how modifiable this lifestyle risk or protective factor really is. On the topic of diet and nutrition, here's one on how this might affect the progression of dementia in individuals who have already been diagnosed with AD. Paper 4 is Nutritional Status Assessment in Alzheimer's Disease and Its Influence on Disease Progression. This was published in Neurologia by first author Izquierdo Delgado and last author Tola Arribas from the Hospital Universitario Rio Hortega in Spain. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. So here we're looking at nutritional impairment and to what frequency this might occur in people with AD and how it could influence disease progression. 50 patients with prodromal AD and 127 with dementia due to AD received two clinical assessments over a period of 18 months, as well as the mini nutritional assessment test to estimate nutritional status. Dementia progression was defined as an increase of three or more points on the clinical Dementia rating sum of boxes test. Of the 141 participants who completed both evaluations, the prevalence of nutritional impairment was 28%, with the majority of those being at risk of malnutrition. This is particularly observed in female participants, and a larger proportion of patients with nutritional impairment showed dementia progression compared to those without. The results suggest that nutritional impairment is highly prevalent in patients with AD, and that taking this into consideration at the time of diagnosis could help with disease prognosis. Next up, we have a paper on omega-3 in the diet, which came up in last month's episode as well. This time, we're looking at the interaction with APOE genotype, similar to paper 3. Paper 5 is published in the European Journal of Neurology by first author Lee and last author Tan. It's part of the Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative, and the title is A Gene Environment Interplay Between Omega 3 Supplementation and ApoEE4 Provides Insights for Alzheimer's Disease Precise Prevention Among High Genetic Risk Population. This study followed 1,670 older adults who did not have dementia at baseline, and they were followed for 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 10 years. The authors examined the interaction between omega 3 supplementation with ApoEE4 and polygenic hazard scores, and they adjusted their analysis for age, gender, education, cognitive diagnosis, insomnia, depression, anxiety, and cardiovascular risk scores. So they considered a lot of confounding variables. Among APOEE4 carriers, the authors found that those who took omega-3 for a shorter duration were more likely to progress to AD during the follow-up period. They also found that the interaction effect between APOEE4 and omega-3 was responsible for a significant amount of variance in cognition and in cerebral amyloid burden. On the flip side, the protective effects of long-term omega-3 use on cognition, amyloid burden, and AD risk were also only observed in APOEE4 carriers, suggesting that the supplementation with this fatty acid specifically plays a role in AD prevention within this genetically at-risk population. Let's turn from fatty acids to another important nutrient, namely vitamin C. The authors of paper six conducted a Mendelian randomization study to determine a causal link between AD and vitamin C levels in the blood. This is a type of genetic analysis that comes up often in my epidemiological studies episodes. And there was actually a Mendelian randomization study on vitamin C last month as well. You can check out last month's episode or just the bibliography if you want to find that paper. Anyway, onward to paper six, which is entitled Mendelian Randomization to Evaluate the Effect of Plasma Vitamin C Levels on the Risk of Alzheimer's Disease. It's coming from the Capital Medical University in China by first author Liu and last author Liu. Uh, these are two separate authors. And it was published in Genes and Nutrition. In this study, 11 plasma vitamin C genetic variants were selected from a plasma vitamin C GWAS, so that's genome-wide association study data set, of over 52,000 participants. And this was in order to determine how these relate to the risk of AD and an AD proxy phenotype. The results were also verified with cognitive performance GWAS data set of nearly 258,000 participants. The abstract gets into some specific analyses that I can't do justice in my summary, so I encourage that you check out the paper for details. But overall, the authors determined that there was no causal association between plasma vitamin C levels and AD risk in their European dataset. So that brings us halfway through our episode. Before we take a quick break, I just want to thank the Canadian Consortium of Neurodegeneration and Aging for providing us with sponsorship to keep our podcast running. As you may know, podcasts come with overhead costs, even when we are a team of volunteers. So it's really helpful to have this support from the CCNA. And you can check out what they do, in particular their research and knowledge translation efforts on their website. So with that, let's take a break and I'll be back for the second half in a couple minutes Nearly 1 million older Canadians live with a form of dementia This number is expected to double within 10 years and sadly no solutions exist yet to dramatically reduce these numbers It has to stop Research can help solve this problem We are 350 researchers fully dedicated towards preventing and finding a cure to dementia, and to improve care to those living with dementia. We are the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. The solution to dementia could be closer than you think. Okay, so we're back for the second half, and I have a smattering of different topics for you. Most of these are sort of around uh, comorbidities and more health-related factors that could influence dementia and AD. So moving on to a very different topic, this is one I haven't seen before. It is alopecia areata or AA, and in layman's terms, this is a form of hair loss that is associated with multiple conditions and could share an inflammatory underpinning with AD. So paper 7 is called Association of Alopecia Areata and the Risk of Dementia, a nationwide cohort study. This is coming out of a few universities and hospitals in Taiwan. The first author is Li, the last author is Chen, and it was published in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. The authors recruited over 2,500 patients with AA from the Taiwan National Health Insurance Research Database, and these were matched with over 25,000 controls, specifically for age, sex, residence, income, dementia-related comorbidities, systemic steroid use, and annual outpatient visit. The authors used Cox regression analyses adjusted for various confounders to assess the association between AA and dementia risk. Over the nearly 15-year span of their study, Patients with AA were more likely than controls to develop any type of dementia, as well as AD specifically or unspecified dementia. When stratified by age and sex, the results showed increased risk of any and unspecified dementia both in age groups under and over 65 years and in both sexes. However, the risk for Alzheimer's specifically was increased in male patients only and in those with age at dementia onset over 65 years. These results suggest that that this type of hair loss is indeed associated with increased dementia risk, but more research is needed to determine the underlying mechanisms. Continuing on in the vein of slightly random topics, next up we have a paper on auditory tests. Previous evidence suggests that hearing loss is associated with dementia risk or the speed of cognitive decline, but the authors of this paper wanted to determine whether this is due to audibility or central auditory processing. Paper 8 is called Association of Performance on Dichotic Auditory Tests with Risk for Incident Dementia and Alzheimer Dementia. The first author is Mohammed. the last author is Larson. This is from the University of Washington in Seattle and was published in JAMA, Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery. This was an observational study of a sample from the prospective adult changes in thought study, which I actually covered in the part one of this episode as well. The sample included 280 volunteer participants without dementia who were evaluated over a 2.5-year period and followed up around 12 years later. The authors assessed the association between cognition and various hearing tests, including pure tone signal audibility, a monaural word recognition test, and two dichotic tests. So monaural refers to only hearing through one ear, so often the other ear is blocked, and dichotic means that the left and right ear are presented with different sounds. During the follow-up period, there were 89 incident cases of dementia, of which the majority were classified as AD. Of the hearing tests assessed, it was the dichotic tests that came out as significantly associated with dementia and AD risk, suggesting that abnormal central auditory processing correlates with increased dementia risk. Let's move on to a few papers that look at the association between AD and other diseases, so physical health conditions. Paper 9 is Kidney Disease and Risk of Dementia, a Danish nationwide cohort study. As you can guess, it is from Denmark, specifically Aarhus University Hospital. The first author is Kjergaard, the last author is Christiansen, and this was published in BMJ Open. This was a cohort study based on historical registry data, so this is data from nearly 83,000 patients with kidney disease between 1995 and 2016. These were matched 1 to 5 on age, sex, and year of kidney disease diagnosis with healthy controls, meaning there were 5 times as many control participants, and the authors examined the risk and hazard ratios between kidney disease and all-cause dementia, as well as subtype. They found that 5- and 10-year mortality rates were double that in patients with kidney disease compared with the general population. In terms of dementia, there was a modest increase in risk, which was primarily driven by vascular dementia. The Alzheimer's risk estimates amongst patients with kidney disease were actually lower than the general population. However, the authors suggest that the high mortality and other comorbidities in patients with kidney disease could mean that dementia is underdiagnosed in this population. As is common for my episodes, we have a paper on cerebrovascular disease, or CVD. This can include things like atherosclerosis, cerebral amyloid angiopathy, and strokes. There's a pretty strong link between these diseases and dementia, which you can hear more about in Ellen R's episode on cerebrovascular contributions to AD. For today, let me tell you a little more with paper 10, which is complex profiles of cerebrovascular disease pathologies in the aging brain and their relationship with cognitive decline. The first author is Lamar, the last author is Schneider. This is from the Rush University Medical Center and was published in the journal Stroke. The authors used autopsy data from nearly 1,500 decedents, that is, people who have passed away, aged on average 88 years at death to examine how various combinations of cerebrovascular disease relate to global and domain-specific cognitive decline. Specifically, they looked at 32 possible CVD combinations, that is, three types of blood vessel disease and two types of tissue injury. 80% of their total sample did have CVD neuropathology, with over half of those having a mixed CVD profile, so multiple cerebrovascular pathologies. Compared to those who had no CVD pathologies, Those with a mixed profile showed faster cognitive decline before death across all cognitive domains assessed. This was not the case for those with a single CVD profile. The combination of profiles showed faster cognitive decline than any profile considered alone, especially when the mixed profile included atherosclerosis and arteriosclerosis, in other words the stiffening of arteries. The authors also mentioned that the distinct mixed CVD profile showed domain-specific associations with cognitive decline. I encourage you to check out the specifics in the paper. But basically, this suggests that cerebrovascular disease and the various pathologies have uh, distinct effects that can't just be lumped all together. We have three papers to go, and this next one is about a topic that we could unfortunately not escape during the holiday season, and I'm sorry to bring it up again. This is coronavirus. If you are sick of this, well, so am I, but paper 11 is interesting nonetheless. It's by first author Park, last author Oh, from Seoul National University Hospital in South Korea. Paper 11 was published in the Journal of Personalized Medicine, and the title is Dementia Risk Among Coronavirus Disease Survivors, a nationwide cohort study in South Korea. The authors pose a question that is on a lot of researchers' minds these days, namely, does COVID-19 increase the risk of dementia diagnosis among survivors? Of course, it may be too early to tell for the general population, but this group followed over 306,000 adults aged 20 and older for six months in order to get at the answer. This included around 7,100 COVID-19 survivors and nearly 300,000 controls. The authors report that 1.2% of the sample developed dementia in the short study period, and that after adjusting for covariates, the risk was 1.39-fold higher in COVID-19 survivors than controls. So this suggests that there is a slightly higher risk, though I encourage you to dig into the paper to know which confounding variables the authors took into consideration. And there's a paper on COVID-19 in our latest Genetic Insights episode as well, which is hosted by Marcia. So you can check that out if you are not sick of the topic. Here's something else that hits close to home during this pandemic, which is depression and anxiety. How do these relate to cognition? First author Perrin, last author Lim, and their co-authors have some of the answer with paper 12 entitled Elucidating the Association Between Depression, Anxiety, and Cognition in Middle Aged Adults Application of Dimensional and Categorical Approaches. This is published in the Journal of Affective Disorders and is primarily from the Monash University in Victoria, Australia. This study isn't looking at AD directly but it is looking at the association between cognition and depressive and anxiety symptoms in a sample of over 2,600 participants who were enrolled in the Healthy Brain Project. The authors used various scales to assess depression and anxiety, as well as both objective and subjective cognition. Check the paper for details. In their study sample, having clinically meaningful anxiety or depressive symptoms was related to more subjective cognitive concerns, and having both increased the risk further. There were also associations between specific symptoms. For example, somatic and panic-related anxiety symptoms were associated significantly with poor attention, whereas tension and panic-related anxiety was significantly related to poor memory. The authors mentioned some limitations, including that their sample was enriched with individuals with a family risk of dementia, but overall their results suggest that depression and anxiety could help identify early signs of cognitive decline. On that note, if you're interested in potential early markers of cognitive decline and dementia, we've got an episode dedicated to clinical markers that you may want to check out. So to round off this episode, we have a paper on drug use, specifically for treating things such as depression and anxiety. Paper thirteen is the risk of dementia in patients using psychotropic drugs, antidepressants, mood stabilizers, and antipsychotics. It's coming from the University of Université de Bordeaux and the Hôpital Charles Perrin in France. Um, The first author is Tournier, the last author is Verdoux, and it was published in Acta Psychiatrica Scandinavica. This was a nested case control study in which the authors investigated whether all-cause dementia, or AD specifically, is linked to the use of antidepressants, mood stabilizers, or antipsychotics. Using healthcare claim databases, they formed a cohort of patients aged 50 and older who were using psychotropic drugs between 2006 and 2017. The sample size isn't mentioned in the abstract, so check the paper for those details. Onwards to the results. Within the study period, the authors found no association between all-cause dementia or AD and antidepressant or mood stabilizer use. They do report conflicting findings for antipsychotics. Their analysis revealed that while first- and second-generation antipsychotics were not associated with AD, second-generation treatments lasting over three months did increase the risk of dementia more generally. The authors suggest that caution should be used when prescribing these, but of course, further research is needed to establish a causal link. So that brings us to the end of this episode and the end of the October series. As I mentioned, the November series will be starting in just a few days. I hope that you found this episode useful and accessible, maybe also interesting. Just a reminder that you can follow up on any of these papers in the bibliography, which was created by Anjana this month. And a shout out to the whole team, but specifically the many people working on sorting the papers. Anusha for reviewing the script and also for providing us with music for the podcast. You can check her out under AK Music on YouTube or Anusha Kamesh on SoundCloud. Laura is... Is editing the audio and hopefully edited out all of my bloopers. This was reviewed by Ellen Kay, and there are many, many other people working on this podcast. If you would like to join us in our efforts, please reach out by email or by social media. You can send us your CV and a quick note of how you'd like to contribute. And of course, we're also welcoming any listener feedback through social media, or you can write us a review. Okay, talk to you again soon.